Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi. Today, I'm joined by Amr Inam. Amr is the Chief Artificial Intelligence Officer, one of the smartest guys I have ever met. He uh, works with Pactera Edge. For the last 20 years, he's led companies that are looking for that digital transformation. Companies like Nike, companies like Wells Fargo, uh, Sadakono Automotive. He has been a consultant for PricewaterhouseCooper, working with companies like Disney, ESPM, Keurig, uh, Liberty Tax, and ADP. Amr is a member of the Ford Society Council for Data and AI Advisors. He is also one of the founding members of the Analytics and Big Data Society. He holds two Masters of Science degrees, uh, one in economics from AM. Uh, his experience in the AI digital transformation is legendary. I'm so excited to have him on our podcast and uh, let's give a big warm welcome for Amr. Welcome to the show. Amir, welcome to the show. You know, as always, I'm so excited to have you on. Your conversations uh, always prove to be so insightful and we have so much fun going down uh, multiple, you know, multiple places. And uh, before we get started today, I want to take a second and just have the audience get to know you. You know, the way I get to know you, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. So maybe give, give us a little your background and uh, let everybody know what, uh, what what got you here. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, background quickly. I've been in the space of AI machine learning for well over 20 years at this point. And uh, the funny thing is kind of like a dad joke that I sometimes make, call myself a bit of a hipster of AI because uh, we were doing machine learning, uh, backpropagation models, neural networks, well over 20 years ago. And uh, kind of like the, the path deviated a little bit into different domains and came back to it more recently. But uh, sometimes I joke around like we were doing it before it was cool. Right now it's really cool because everybody wants in on it and it's a great trend. And then to be honest, a lot of that is just snake oil, but in a way, also, I like to, to, to come in and, and the idea is that how do we cut through all of the, all of the, uh, the chatter that's around it and get into the, what's the real thing, right? The, what the real, real stuff is. And in a way, like, it, it's, it's kind of fun to talk about because the whole hipster culture was about bespoke, right? <laughs> and uh, what we also find is that uh, the AI solution that really, really work for you and drive value for an organization are the ones that are built bespoke for your specific needs, for your specific context, for the outcomes that you intend to drive. So in a way, like certain parallels there, and so it's kind of fun, kind of a dad joke kind of a thing, calling myself a hipster of AI. No, no, you're definitely are the hipster. You know, you've been doing this for a long time. And, and with that comes, yeah. you know, a, a little bit of background knowledge and understanding how it works. And I think that's a big one that's just scary, right? Because when people think of AI, they think of, uh, I, I get two people. I get one that has no idea about it at all. And then, mm-hmm. or maybe a very little bit. And then, then I've got the people who watch too much Terminator, right? Who are all like, oh my God, computers are going to take over the world and we're all going to be working for them. And there's none in between. And as I've met all the people I've met, all the people that we've done work with uh, around the AI platform, you know, you can really start to see where the most likely cases for AI to exist is really in the augmentation and support of us, right? As we start to really work on 
uh, having an AI partners, you know, taking the databases that we have today and making them smarter, right? And starting to get them so they're where they, they are in our path of travel, uh, really taking our lifestyle and the growth of AI, which will be a, will be a, it'll be a growth process, right? Right now we're getting the, the fundamental pieces of it. And as we're building the building blocks for it today uh, with the digital transformation, uh, we're starting to see that growth. So I, I think that's, that's the part to me that uh, where AI came from, you know, what we see in the movies isn't necessarily the scary, the scary part of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you're hitting at is a, the fundamental thing is trust, right? As humans, it's our innate nature not to trust something that's going to challenge our existing beliefs and norms, the way of doing. And it's, it's, the, it's the resistance to change. And it's human nature. It's, it's just innate in our psychology. I'll give an example. Like, and this, this stuff has been around for a while. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Ignaz Semmelweis. Um, so Ignaz Semmelweis was a uh, physician back in Vienna in 1700s. And uh, back then, the, the death rate of newborn babies in that part of the country was very, very high in hospitals, 40 to 60% mortality rate, just insanely bad. And um, it was to the point where, but interestingly enough, that the childbirths that were happening with uh, midwives were, were actually not that high at all. Actually, they were close to you know, zero to one, like, very, like just the normal. And to the point where people are scared of going to hospitals. So Ignaz Semmelweis, being a very religious person, took it upon as his personal mission to figure out what was going on and started to study them, the hospitals that back then. And um, he put in a process where he asked the doctors to wash hands before with chlorine before going into the, to the childbirth. What he realized was that these were also medical colleges. So doctors were working on cadavers and they're walking from cadavers, working on cadavers to delivering babies. And this is before the theory of germs. So Louis Pasteur was not, not, not there yet. And so he didn't know what was going on, but he thought maybe they should just wash hands. So post washing the hands, they declined the death rate or the mortality rate significantly down to basically the acceptable kind of range right back then. And he was like, aha, I solved this problem. And he went back to the hospital community and the doctors laughed him out the door. They're like, we know what you, we are doing. We are better than this. Uh, don't tell us what to do. They just declined, rejected the whole thing. And it, it, it got to the point where he kept fighting this battle, just wash your hands. That's it, just wash your hands. And it, it, it drove him, I mean, led to his mental health problem. He eventually was uh, submitted to an asylum where he passed away within a couple of days. So in a way, like, I call him the, the, the patron saint of data science in a way too. Um, and he should be called that. But right now, I mean, uh, in, in Hungary, uh, he's considered the founding father of uh, antiseptic because what he did was the first antiseptic without knowing. And of course, Louis Pasteur came along much later. Theory of germs was, was, was understood and then so on and so forth. But we think about it, even when the lives of newborn babies was involved, the people who are involved in making the decision to do that they did not make that simple change, right? Even with that type of imperative. So it's a problem that we are still facing today when we learn something from AI or machine learning or data science or predictive models and we bring it to the table, 
And the first reaction generally from the organization business leader is, why should I trust it? I know my guts better than this, right? I've been doing this forever, right? And, and it's, it's the augmentation component. A lot of people see it as a threat to their own existence. So if we can bridge that gap between seeing AI or data-driven insights to drive a decision as augmentation versus a threat, I mean, that's where the, the switch is. But it's really hard. I mean, that's where the change management com- comes into play and truly understanding the people and the process and the politics and culture. I mean, all of those are extremely crucial in driving the, the, the adoption and trust in AI. I say it every day, you know, fear pushes into, to, until vision pulls. I, I, I just walked out of a meeting before I walked into this one with a group of people dealing with change orders, right? It was a, a construction projects. These are multi-million dollar projects and somewhere a change order for somebody is snuck through our process. And mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it's stuck through there. And now we have a sub who's all upset and there's a, you know, they, they, they don't want to go back into the job site. They don't agree on some stuff. And, and it all stems from somewhere in our, uh, you know, several months ago, they had something happen and uh, the communication, it, it snuck through. And instead of us looking at it going, huh, that's a, that's a, uh, a flaw that we had somewhere in our systems that got a flaw. We want to go blame somebody. I'm like, yeah. And yeah. I, as the owner, look at the, look at the process and go, I've set that person up for failure because what I didn't establish was check and balance echo and not echo. Now taking the human mm-hmm. out of it or taking, yeah. taking my ego out of it or the, or my team's ego out of it and go, all right, what, what's the process that happens here? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Every single day in, in this business of construction, you know, I have it over in my world, I believe one thing, but over in their world, they, they don't understand what, 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 I'm, what I'm saying, right? What I want and what they're thinking had to transfer it over. And I think as we look at the AI process and the digital communication process, what it's allowing us to do is to see models smarter, right? To be able to start to look at our day-to-day interaction with whatever projects we're doing. If it's the physical world, or if it's the intellectual world, as we start to look at products and break down, that AI process allows us to break it down and then communicate the need for it and paint the picture over on the other person much clearer. And the problem is you, my team is working on hundreds of things at a single time. And you're saying, yeah. hey, stop, you're, you're fighting fires. They're like, listen, if I don't stop and fight, fight these fires, uh, we're, mm-hmm. you know, more people are gonna be at us. And I'm like, if you don't stop fighting fires, and go fix the next one, you're gonna have more fires. My, you know, mm-hmm. my, my, my want for you as a team is to, to go back and go, great, what, what can we do to mitigate having more fires? And fighting yep. fires isn't mitigating yeah. problems. It's No, and it's, it's a distraction, right? From, from focusing on the real problem, which is where a couple of things you hit there, right? Uh, and I wanna articulate those points. One is leading with empathy. Um, not just because I think what you just articulated there is an example of leading with empathy, the impact on the end users, right? Those who are going to carry a decision, what is their motivation, right? What is, what is that that's in, my, in their mind? What are their pains? And then by utilizing this new way of doing things, what are they likely to gain that addresses those pain points, right? So if they are swimming or actually in this case, drowning in the minutiae, 
too many random tasks coming down the pipeline, right? And it's, it's just disrupting the flow that they need to do. And in their mind, they may have a sense of importance and prioritization for something else, and then things keep coming down the pipeline and that's disrupting their flow, right? So understanding from leading with empathy is understanding what is the impact on them. And it's not just, and this is where it kind of gets into a concept called mindful AI that, that, that uh, uh, we have designed as a framework, right? And mindful AI is essentially leads with uh, empathy, human centricity, trustworthiness, and responsive responsibility. So those are three pillars for mindful AI. And then the first pillar really is understanding not just the, the act component of what we do, because typically a lot of the AI systems are built based on, let's understand what people are doing and just design something to automate it. It's not just that, it's it goes a little bit deeper. It's understanding why we do it, what we do, right? So essentially understanding our motivations, our, our ambitions around it. So it takes a little bit step beyond. So if we solve with the AI problems only for today as they exist based on the current framework, then we are not solving for tomorrow. We're only optimizing for today. And of course we may have to do both, right? And, but sometimes you just have to leapfrog. That requires a little bit more cultural change, you know, processes change. And there are other pro uh, things with, I mean, even, even with the AI and in combination with uh, uh, process transformation and making processes lean, you can, you can uh, move that forward. For example, in, in case of like construction, um, you, may, you may get all this data and be able to use machine learning to do a more comprehensive for large scale projects, integrated business planning, ensuring that, that we can forecast staff shortage to potential for cost overruns, to potential for where the risks may be to the project from a uh, upstream uh, supply, potential supply problems of materials and what they may cause as an issue on your downstream uh, project plan and stuff like that, right? You can also bring in safety elements to it. Way, way more, you know, that's, yeah. that's the part that it makes the business so inefficient is that yeah. when we, our designers and our implementers are, mm -hmm. are on two different pages. You know, so you're over here, you've got a design team working in its own little silo. And yeah. by the time you get to figuring out uh, the design, the implement, and then we go out there and actually manage the construction of it and, and buy the parts and pieces and execute on that, the steps in between that it takes. We end up missing, we have to go, we spend so much time going back and forth because of, yeah. you know, one group designs it, another group estimates it, another group builds it. None of them are working together originally and the back and forth makes it so much more cost, uh, you know, raises the cost, makes it a lot more uh, inefficient. It takes yep. a lot more time. And as AI is able to take that piece you talked about where you can design understanding the back end the cost, availability, the work, the, the, the availability work, workforce to execute on it and take all that into consideration at the time of design, yeah. dramatically lowers the cost, the impact to the environment, the impact to all that we're doing. So I think that's a great, great point there. That, that, that feels a great one. Yeah, and, and no, thank you. And it's not just that, but we, with, with the data you can generate out of the, from the beginning all the way. So once the, once your infrastructure is in place, then you have all of the mechanisms set up to continue to gather data, right, into a building information system, let's just say, right? And then you start to do building information modeling. So you can continue to monitor the, uh, the performance and everything, and then the state of, the, of the, what you have built to make sure you can continue to predict where 
things are likely to go wrong, could fail, could be a safety issue, thing that needs to be patched up over time and stuff like that, efficiencies from, from an energy perspective. So it's, it's not just like you just use it one time and then, and then give it away or, 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 or stop doing it, but it's a, it's a continuous journey and it starts to like become like part of this DNA of this living, breathing infrastructure per, per se. And one thing I'll mention in that was that human centricity is still going to be very crucial element. And what you mentioned there is designers doing something and then, and then giving it to those who have to build, right? And this back and forth, that framework essentially, and this gets into a little bit of the, the transformation side of the thing, that framework still brings to the table that I did something and then you have to agree to what I did. And then the other side saying, I don't like doing like this. I like to do it this way and you have to change what you're doing, right? And that creates for a not a negotiable kind of a dialogue, right? And actually, when you start with that, that leads to a suboptimal negotiation. But if you lead with, these designs lead with the empathy-based approach, right, human-centric, like typically what we hear from our building, building builders or engineers are these concerns and challenges. Let's make sure we incorporate that into a design and then ask them first, how do you like to do things? What do you want to do? What are the challenges and issues? Similarly, buildings and engineers should ask the designers, like, what is your vision? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to come up with this, this completely new architecture that's going to win you all of these big awards? Like, but that creates construction problems too, right? Challenges because new stuff, but like, what do we need to do to fulfill that, 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 that vision? So it, it starts to bring more of a, again, empathy-led conversation, right? So it, it makes for a more optimal outcome for what you're building. And then that's more on the process side of things, right? But even in the AI, our approach really is, and, and is that the formula for success is really leading with that sense of mindfulness. And, and I cannot maybe like the sounding a little bit preachy here, but, but when you understand and establish what we need to build and why, the how, becomes easier because the how is then engineering, data, cloud architecture, platform engineering, AI algorithms building out, right? Building front-end applications, integration of the API. Like, so all of those technology and engineering has to of course come to fruition. But, but if we don't know what we're building and why we're building for, the how tends to lose a sense of relevance, which is where we see a lot of problem in the industry where the after the system is built, the adoption fails the test, right? And the adoption is low because of that. The, the, the adoption rate to me is always around the weight by which, which it takes to do the transformation, right? To go mm -hmm. from, from where you are now. Look, if, if I knew today that by doing that, I'll make $100,000 more, I have a, I have yeah. a, I have a, I have a driver. I have a, but the problem is that when you're in the middle of a gunfire, you're in the middle of a project, and now you want to execute on a new technology, mm -hmm. you're in the middle of it, and someone's saying, it's going to get, it's going to save you, and they can't see yeah. it, it's going to save you money, it's going to save you money, but all I see is that it's taking me more time, that, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I'll give you a great one, we got a, we got a new software that we're using for project updates, and you know, we had an old software. Everybody got it down pat. You know, every a couple of years, mm -hmm. new software comes by. And, you know, this is ingenious. This one allows you to see everything that happened on the job site. You can, you can go back and see streaming video. You can watch job site. You can see uh, plans for, you know, they can take a picture of a wall, attach it to the same section of a elevation. You can you can look at both of them on, a, on an update report. You can see manpower, people checking in, yeah. checking out. A way smarter vision of the job site. 
Now, yeah. the old ones were a little bit arduous. You had some pictures. It was, but everybody did them every day. You never missed yeah. it. Right? There was a time when I would threaten superintendents to say, you don't get paid today unless I get an update report at the end of every day. So I knew who was on the job site, safety conditions, yeah. all the stuff. And I would have to, it was like plenty. And then we got them into this platform. And that platform works great. But now we're transferring over to another one. And as that switch over, some are getting it, some are not. Some want to go back to the old one. And we're like, no, 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 we're pulling the license. You can't use that one anymore. You know, up to this state, we're like, look, you want me to do my job or you want me to learn about software? Right? Yeah. So the, the, tug and, the tug of that um, is, is the, and then, I, then I've got uh, the leadership team looking at me going, yeah, we're really pushing some buttons here doing this, guys. Should we just, uh, and, and then they, they get it, they squint, right? And if they, if, if they flutter, the team flutters. I'm like, well, listen, the vision of where we're going with this is going to, this is the data, this, these are the data points that are really yeah. going to allow us to have a much clearer picture with the clients that we work with, that as we go, uh, the future of the business will really require this. And it's hard to sit here and say that, not ever knowing, right? It's, it's hard to sit there and know that, hey, when, when I'm developing the Uber app, that this is going to make uh, traveling uh, via taxi way more efficient, you know, mm -hmm. that somewhere in the future will have robo-taxis. It's hard to see that when you're yeah. being a visionary about it. But everyone, yeah. you, get, you get that glimmer. You just got to be able to sell that through the transition part because the troops don't always want to go there. The, the, the team won't always be able to follow that vision and being able to go to where, you, where, where you, what you're seeing uh, it, through those yeah. times of change when it's yep. really awkward. Yeah, and it, it's and it, it's a it's a common challenge in driving adoption of new AI systems, right? Because people are used to doing things their way. One of the one of the uh, learnings that I've had throughout my career is that if you try if you build a solution and it try to patch it over an existing process, it's likely to fail because you're not changing the process. You're just just you build this transformational thing without transforming the process itself without transforming the people themselves. And if we have to bring people plus process plus platform together, and at a certain level, I will also add a third, fourth P called politics, because the politics is essentially addressing the culture of the organization, right? Challenges that exist between different like middle management to higher management, higher management and uh, where political pressure may come for towards or against uh, any kind of a transformation. Uh, pretty common in large enterprises. So you kind of have to address those four Ps, but at the at the lower level where it, it impacts the people is people plus plus process. And we have to kind of understand why is it that, again, leading with empathy, why is it that you are rejecting this new technology that is supposed to improve what you do? It's supposed to augment your human potential or our human potential, right? And typically what we learn is uh, lack of trust, feeling threatened in their jobs that, that they will be replaced by machines someday, like what is their value? Um, or in some cases, just rigidity around learning something new. And in that case, like at least if we understand the, the hurdles in the adoption, and if you look at the process itself, and then if it's too cumbersome, can we make the process lean? Like, let's say people say like, you know, I don't want to change it because I'm going to go back to it because that's what I know. Like I punch the clock, I do it, I go home, which is fine, right? If, if, if people's motivations for what they do, but if we can articulate like, hey, by the way, you're spending 80% of your time in a day on these things that are driving your stress level high, 
what if we can reduce that stress? If you're moving this file to that file to that file, and you're clicking this number here and put, punching that into this Excel here, what if we could automate all of that? So you can actually use, you're not just doing a task, you're starting to use your expertise to drive more strategic decisions versus wasting it on mundane tasks of just moving information around versus just using it, right? So it's, it's the articulation of the value, like they have a pain point, then how is this solution addressing those pain points and leading to gains for them, right? So it's not just, and of course, when we approach that, the holistically, like it's the gain is for the rest of the organization by making the process leaner, by transforming the people and then articulating from the benefits perspective. The other thing is you mentioned is that, you know, bouncing from software to software, there has to be a reason why you're bouncing from one, one software to software. The other like if one is not meeting the need, and there may be the mathematics behind it or the type of forecasting that, that's coming in that you're not trustworthy one versus the other. Or it may be just the experience because one software is just designed so well that, that you're not wasting time because, and, and it's visually appealing. You love opening, opening that software and getting in because, and that's the concept of lo lovable experience because our digital experiences, habits are now being formed by the best in class applications and software. So if we have that experience with all of these best in class uh, applications and you go to an enterprise software that's still stuck in the 1980s, it's a very jarring experience, right? So that experience has to be elevated to, to bring it to the modern world so that, so that we can have that seamless experience across. And then so when people, and we, we get into this conversation a lot, like the end users say, I hate opening this software because <laughs> just the moment it opens on my screen, I cringe, right? And that right there is an indication that it's not designed for that experience. And, I, and I'll give you experience drives trust, which is crucial in AI. So let, let's give you an example. So self-driving car, your, your car took you to a destination. It's, it's parked on the side of the street. And next step is you're opening the door. The car doesn't allow you to open the door. As a human, it's like, hey, I make my own decisions. I should be able to open the car. So first reaction, maybe maybe something is broken. The second reaction, maybe maybe the robot is taking over me. And three seconds later, while that is, is going on, a, a cyclist zooms past you. So car saw that, that that was a hazardous situation and it did not allow the door to be open, but it was a bad experience in that moment. And that's a battle between machine versus human, right? That's what the systems have to design for human and machine. Is there's an and in it? So, in the experience perspective, what if it was not that? That's a jarring experience, right? To an extent, what if the the car didn't allow you to open the door, but also gave you an indicator next to the door with a small light saying there's a hazardous situation, and perhaps then you can trust it, right? So that's the experience element uh, that I'm speaking to, right? Um, the other thing, like we hear quite often in our enterprise solutions, sometimes like enterprises have gone through so many changes from one software to the next to the next and continuous problems with adoption. And some of our enterprise clients are now saying, we are willing to compromise on AI models or machine learning models accuracy, but the experience needs to be world-class because we have learned that that's what drives adoption. If we best the, build the best model ever, but people don't use it, it's complete wastage. And we're seeing more and more traction like that where organizations are like, let's lead with experience, understand the outcomes you're trying to drive 
and then build the AI solutions off of those. So landing the relevancy and context along with experience is very crucial. And then, I mean, that's essentially, uh, um, yeah, what, 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 what you were saying there as well. Our whole, our whole idea is that building faster is yeah. the future of the business, right? Uh, yep. uh, across one of our walls here, uh, 17 foot sign, say uh, big giant letters as, as tall as you are. It says from dirt to dishes in four weeks. And that's our want to be able to build ground up buildings in four weeks, right? From, yeah. from the time you see a, a piece of dirt, to the time that you uh, open it, and you're selling uh, food on dishes, that if a four week process. And we believe that that'll even go faster, right? With the technologies that we're looking at today, the yeah. printing of buildings, the, the, uh, yep. the automa automation of, of drawings, you, know, you, you can really clearly see quickly that all the, so everything we have points towards that, right? So all of our, mm -hmm. All of, that's our North Star and all the decisions we make yeah. as a company. As we look at the processes that we look at from the real, you know, and we look back and go, let's start with the DNA. Let's look at yeah. why the sites that we're picking, what does the client need? Where does it, if the client wants to roll out hundreds of stores this year, let's start looking at why, who's going to open that. Just like you talked about, let's understand the why, right? Look, it's a, it's a group of oil changing yeah. uh, companies or it's a pharmacy or, or whatever that is, we understand why, where they want to be, understand their demographic really, really yeah. well. So before we ever even start looking at it, 35 years ago, 30 years ago, I built a software that uh, did an algorithm on real estate. As we looked at site mm -hmm. selection, demographic modeling, it came up with yeah. uh, 30 points of, of, of an algorithm that gave us uh, drivers on, would it be successful? It, what side of the road was yeah. it on? Was it on the going to work, going, going home? What, uh, what were the households? Uh, what was the income? One mile, three mile, five mile. What were the yep. uh, local uh, businesses around there? Hospitals, churches, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, service yep. it really gave us lots of algorithm point data points yep. to kind of put together a predictive index as to yep. how that property would do yeah then it had a secondary index that really had us look at what's the probability of doing a deal in that marketplace at mm -hmm. the numbers we wanted by taking the average rents the uh, available properties the number of deals uh, and then really being able to look at uh, taking uh, trade area analysis, right? If uh, if we're this brand A, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're coffee shop and we have this demographic and we looked at this marketplace, if, if we looked at the marketplace with perfect precision, yeah. how, many, how many coffee shops could we put out there? What would be the perfect yep. locations for them? Yeah. And we would break yeah. them up into trade area analysis, right? We'd, we'd create individual yep. trade areas that would... Because you could very easily take a brand and you could cannibalize what might be two locations by putting one location in the middle of it, right? And, and uh, franchising groups we've worked with up at that point would, were great at that. They would, they would you know, they, every time they get a franchisee and they go, I got a perfect location. They go, great, go and they'd sell it. And then they'd get to, yeah. to tier one, that's okay, right? Because you could kind of penetrate that way if you want to. But you start getting to tier yeah. two and tier three of a marketplace. Yeah. And now you've cannibalized locations, you know, what might have been a 50 store rollout in a market, now you can maybe only get a 30 store penetration. And it's because we've cannibalized uh, multiple trade areas by putting something in the wrong spot. Yeah. And yeah. as we start to look at uh, the AI component that is able to take what we thought was great at 30 data points and go to 30,000 data points, 
able to look at mm-hmm. you know uh, the individual uh, individuals in a marketplace. You know, today we're looking at brands that are doing dramatically different things. The uh, books and sticks mortar retail is changing so fast yep. that the developers that we're working with are, are, are spinning. They're, they're sitting in their chairs, spinning, trying to figure out what size project should we be building? What are our co-tenancies going to look like? Uh, what's the habit? But we still need, they still need to get deals done. While this transition's happening, yep. they're all, they're out there all, all trying to make the deals because look, they got these properties that are sitting out there empty. Mm-hmm. COVID kicked their asses. If you go look at uh, cities like where we're at here in Oak Park, there are strips of downtown Oak Park, uh, Illinois, that have that, that are dark, right? There's whole sections uh, where uh, developers that were getting premium rents, you know, those, those tenants couldn't afford it. Those retailers, yeah. uh, and there's, those are major brands. Those are, uh, you know, Gap, Old Navies, uh, the, the, yeah. the big box brands that uh, uh, were, were fundamental to the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of retails that are doing okay, but but yeah. the majority of them, there's, there's a lot of dark. So I believe that as we start to look at this, the AI algorithm uh, will give us so many more data points, which will make better input on the properties that we're looking at, hence yeah. make the real estate deal a lot faster to get done. No, def- I mean, that's a great example, right? Uh, and uh, location logistics as a, as a field has been around for some time, like site selection. And they used to be, um, mostly looking like optimization of the network, looking at your your data points, your formographics, demographics, right? Um, all of your uh, site data, and then predicting and projecting from there on um, what the likely successful success uh, of that particular retail node, let's just say, is what you're looking at is is going to be what's going to come in in that space. What type of anchor stores, or 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 any type of store within the vicinity? If Apple goes in a location, you know th- that's a strong signal. But what if we could predict where Apple is going to go next as a store, right? What if we could predict which small neighborhood Nike is going to go next with its small, nimble, right, uh, uh, concept store? Um, and then, and we're seeing that across the board. Also, from a from a retailer's perspective, who who are who are going to own some of these properties, they also want to make sure that they get in before they. The, the rental or, or the pricing prices go up, up too high. So, so they want to get in a little bit early so they negotiate better rates for themselves longer in the longer haul. Because if you're too late to the game, then you're, 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 you're paying a premium, right? I, I got to believe that yeah. retailers have learned that 20-year leases today are too long, right? Yeah, so, too long. so getting in, you know, you know the, the sites that, that I see could potentially be a, a, the game changer Mm-hmm. is that retailers stop doing long-term leases. That yeah. one-year lease becomes a long-term lease. That more retailers start to do pop-up stores. Yep. Where they come into a market, do something fancy, uh, uh, social media the hell out of it, bring everybody they can to it at one time, uh, come in, make a lot of noise, get everybody experience the product, and then go back to yep. uh, an online version of the retail. And what's driving that is really, uh, the, the whole shift to digital commerce or an integrated digital physical experience, right? So the old way of you know, shopping, going to a big mall where all the stores were clustered in a location or a strip mall based on the type or a high street, right? That is, is moving away. And then of course, COVID had definitely changed that dynamic quite a lot. And I don't believe that 
people's shopping behaviors are going to go back to how they were five, 10 years ago. That, that ship has sailed a long time ago. Now it's all about convenience. So that's why like online commerce is designed for convenience. They're not designed for experiential shopping, which you can do in a physical location, but you got to motivate people to come to your physical location. But if your physical location is a high traffic area, you got to find parking, like you have to find a reason to go. And then now after COVID COVID and people have stayed home a little bit, they're like, you know what? I don't feel like driving five miles to go to that location anymore. I can just go online and buy that stuff that comes to my door. How do you bridge that gap then? How do you, how do you keep that experience alive? And then that's where that combination of what you're talking about, like very nimble, digital experience informed physical experiences right to where you are bringing the art of surprise the art of surprise you can you can do that in a physical store but you can it's, it's hard to do in 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 digital of course there are ways to do with with ai driven hyper hyper personalization and recommendations and there's a lot of science that goes behind driving that digital experience but still e-commerce is designed for convenience and fewer clicks to buy Right. It's not it's not typically designed for that art of surprise, the best in class experience where you love experiencing a brand. So, yeah, that 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 thing about like or digital, you may say if you want to feel cute about it, but it, it has to come together. But the data like the thing is, if you understand a particular neighborhood, the dynamics of the consumer behavior, who they are, what they do, what they like to do. Right, again, leading with that empathy component, right? And there's a lot of data behind it with machine learning, classification models, prediction models that can go in to help you understand, truly envision that one-to-one marketing that you know the marketing people have been talking about for the last 20 plus years, but have not been able to bring to life, but we can get to that, right? So if you look at shopping behavior online, online, uh, uh, any interaction behavior, and also their previous interactions with physical, with that then combined together, you can bring a more nimble experience, physical experience as a surprise element to drive that, that, that experience at a much more local level and then bring that surprise element. So keep people connected to the brand, right? And especially for brands that are lifestyle conscious, definitely, and also works very well for uh, brands uh, that are in, in uh, a food, food industry. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, uh, Labatt Blue, the, the Canadian beer, they, they did an experience, location-based experience in, in Europe, uh, several parts of the Europe. So what they had was a d- digital screen that had a scene from, from somewhere from Canada, like a nice, beautiful scene, scenery. And what they had was, uh, if you had a Canadian passport, then you can scan it, or an ID, you can scan it. And suddenly, once you scan it, it will give you another person, a Canadian, on the other side of the screen. And then it will pop out a can of beer that you can open it. And then the other person on the other side will open it. And then, then let's say you're in the middle of Amsterdam, like on a, on a big busy street. And then you can invite more people that are on that street to just join in this truly Canadian experience. Mm. So they brought that experience right there, but it's the experience, but what they're also capturing, I mean, they're driving brand awareness, but they're also capturing a lot of data, yeah. right? And then that data goes back into everything from marketing and product and distributions and 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 forecasting and all that stuff. But yeah, so in a way, even you think about like these smaller, like Amazon retail shops, they are essentially data gathering hubs because they are helping Amazon learn better 
about the consumer dynamics of these, 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 these regions. It's because they can join that physical experience data with all these mountains of data that they have on the consumers on their digital experience. So they can continue to drive more, more uh, relevancy in their uh, overall commerce experience. No, it's, it's awesome. The, the amount of data that's going to connect uh, us to the uh, retailers, you know, yeah. dramatically changes. And you're right. I, I love what you said about the surprise factor, right? Mm-hmm. The surprise factor is is a, is a part, you know, you get caught up in your, you know, Groundhog Day kind of life, right? We get, you know, I get up, I do this, I do this, I do this. And then all of a sudden, boom, this, that Labatt uh, uh, display is in the middle of my path um, somewhere. And now I get to have this experience. There's something that stands out. It reminds me of a feeling. It puts me somewhere. Every time I, every time I go back and see that Labatt somewhere, I get to, I, my, my memory will go back to that experience. And I believe that that's happening a lot more where, where retailers don't necessarily need to put in a physical bricks and stick store long-term that they can go in with a pop-up store, do dramatic stuff. Uh, Louis Vuitton just did one here in the West Loop. They took mm-hmm. over a three-month lease uh, on a space, they painted the entire building, they, they everything, the entire building a, a new color. They painted the whole the whole place a new color, and I, it was yellow, Louis Vuitton yellow, that uh, like that gold color they have. Uh, my, my daughter is like, hey, Dad, I, I got to go down there and get an Instagram picture. Right? They said it all. It's all Insta, It's all Instagrammed out. Sticky consumers for the future, right? And and that's where also measurement is important. What KPI do you measure? Because these are very expensive. I mean, they're they're high cost experiences. So if you if you have a typical like um, measurement around, give me the conversion rate for this very expensive experience. How many people did buy new stuff that were not buying before? That's a wrong KPI. And a lot of these types of experiences that would have a longer term effect are actually can't because the the numbers in the in a short term thinking do not justify the expense from a CFO's perspective, right? So this is where like internal battle comes into play. And it's also informed by previous bad experiences too, where you may do a really sexy, like uh, high impact, very expensive experience, right? But if it doesn't tie back to a longer term game, what you're doing there, the data you're gathering there, the insights and learning, where how do you bring it all back into the rest of your ecosystem so you can learn from it, improve upon it, and then scale, right? And then that's where they, and you can project that impact out over time, then that starts to justify. And then you can think about like how you become more and more nimble. You have done it one time cost, there's a fixed cost to it. How do you reduce that fixed cost over time and start to bring these experiences across and continue to gather, of course, bring that experience and gather more data. And then not just informing additional experience led, alleged uh, uh, lovable kind of a shopping experience, but also how do you integrate that into your overall ecosystem, your you know, 99% of the business? How do you integrate that into it so that people who are not able to get that experience because they don't live in those cities or those streets, like how do you bring it to them? Or the insights you're getting, how do you improve that experience? Like that, that's where it starts to happen. And with going back to the AI, like we can, in, in machine learning, like we can learn from all of these data points and those experiences that are happening and then identify people who are not in those places and then how and who may have similar 
uh, uh, personas and, and stuff like that. And then how do we bring that experience to them, the context to them, right? Mm. So, so that's that's where the, that's where it comes to. But if it's just like one-off experience here and there, just a big brand exercise and then poof, gone, like, for example, like Payless, I mean, it was too late in the, I mean, they were all almost bankrupt at that point anyway, but they did this amazing experience. I think it was in LA where they created this very fancy high-end new luxury brand, like, but all the product inside was Payless shoes that sell for like 15, 20 bucks. But they created this amazing experience and people were just buying, thought there was a high-end new fashion brand and buying these same shoes for like, you know, hundreds and maybe in a couple of thousand dollars. And then like, oh, by the way, this is Payless. Experience was good because they wanted to show that, hey, our stuff is good just because it's payless doesn't mean it's bad. But they, the experience was too late for them, right? And it was a kind of a hail Mary in a way, but they couldn't take what they, they did there and capitalize on it to, to, to save the brand. It just became its own thing, one-off thing, and didn't come back to, to inform the rest of the strategy for the organization for the rest of the business, which doesn't exist right now. The integrated idea, these concepts, once they you know, go off, I think there'll be a little bit of that experience where you'll have spurts, right? They won't be integrated. They won't be connected. You know, and a, a lot of that's, I feel like uh, the growth of AI is in what we're doing right now. We're, we're, we're there right now. You know, uh, the yeah. only difference is, is that we're, there, there's a bunch of little silos around the world, learning different components of, of, of knowledge, right? So one group may be working on a great technology for real estate, one may be working on a great technology for retail, one may be working on a great uh, for, for production. But as these models keep learning smarter and smarter, and one will absorb another one, and they start to integrate together, and they start to work together outside of a silo, then, you know, you'll, you'll start to see uh, that, that speed by which our, our growth will continue to grow. My biggest beliefs are the future is going to happen so much faster than today because yep. as each individual silo of learning, you know, you know uh, this group over here is working on a, on a software that's smarter. This one over here has got a, a BIM model that models a, a site better. Uh, you put those yep. two together and now we can, we can design a building quicker than we ever did before. Now that we can design yeah. buildings quicker than we ever did before, that same model is able to uh, take it through permitting or, or even eliminate permitting because it's all designed by an AI model, right? Why do we need yep. humans to go uh, look over an AI model? So, so now we've taken out permit. So as those the structures, the current structures that are in place dissolve and, and if the, the speed by which we're going to operate, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I walk around here all day long and people ask me, you know, why don't you drink? And what? Well, one of the big beliefs I have is that you need to be, you need to be, you know, you need to be coherent. What's happening now on this planet? Never before have growth and opportunity been so exciting that yeah. you know, in the fifties, you know, there were you could you, there were commercials where doctors smoked. You know, <laughs> you're not smoking now. Right, really, we've learned this is yeah. but today, you know, you've got dope and all the people drinking and the drugs and our pendulum for medicines have that pendulum swung and everybody's taking medications. But we're starting to realize that people are checked out. They're not not there. But the speed by which we're growing, I believe, is going to really have people have to be focused and really be mm-hmm. coherent about what's going on. 
the things that are happening for us are so fast. The opportunities are so great that those people that stay conscious, that stay on that, that level of, of awareness and watch the micro changes that are happening that ride yeah. the change rather than hide from the change, yeah. ah, the opportunities are endless. And it's not just riding the change, but it's influencing the change. And what I mean by that is, going back to your example, right? You can you can intentionally, if you have a sense, you have an intentionality and purpose behind what you're trying to do, then you can actually inform and influence the change. And in in, in a going back to that experience-led retail experience that we're talking about, right? Retail thing. And in in, in that example, like in a typically working anything, you pulse the market with an idea. You sense the results from that pulse you put out there, right? Sensing is you gather information, your data, you learn from it. What worked, what didn't work. And then based on that, you improve it. Again, you're very intentional. You're not, you're not just waiting for somebody to do it for you and then you, you capitalize on it. You're leading from the front because mm. everybody else has to follow, but you have a leg up. Because once you have a leg up, especially in this space, air-driven, it's going to be very hard for others to catch up, right? You can leapfrog uh, multiple years ahead. So, okay. so you pulse it, you sense it, and then you go back. You ignite the market a little bit more, right? You sense it again, and then you eventually scale it. And by the time you, you're on that scale pathway, I mean, your trajectory is, 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 is exponential, and, and it's going to be hard for others to follow at that point. They'll follow you. They'll try to mimic you but they may not have done those paths because you're doing this pulsing and igniting, you're learning and sensing and you're improving. So all of that constant improving, improvement that are happening behind the scene, going back to people process platforms, that's what's gonna drive your success, right? It's not easy to mimic. Amir, yeah, you and I are gonna run out of time and I look, I love, I love our conversation. The change and the ideas, the exchange of ideas really, really gets me excited. You and I could do this for hours, but I think our listeners are going to go, hey, look, I got I to get out of the car. They're listening to this podcast somewhere and uh, they want to get out. You know, uh, in the years ahead that are coming at us, if you had to pick what, what your number one predictor for the future is, what, what's your mantra? Uh, that's a hard question. I mean, the first thing I'll say, we, we're not going to get flying cars. Uh, so put that out of the mind. I think the biggest transformation and AI-driven changes that are going to happen are going to come in two fields. One is going to be in healthcare. And we have seen how fast the vaccines came to the market. It, it's tremendous pace of innovation in healthcare. Uh, the second thing that's going to drive significant amount of innovation in everything from basically every aspect of our life is going to be impact from the climate change uh, related. Case in point, impact of climate change with rising temperatures on infrastructure that was built 30, 40 years ago with the materials that were used back then. The fatigue that, that those and the stresses that those structures are going to face, relevant to your industry. What if we could predict and understand that so that we are better prepared for that future, right? And then and, and, and that and actually the forward thinking enterprises are already thinking about that problem. Climate change is going to disrupt your supply chain. If your raw material comes from South America, your coffee beans, Coffee beans are at risk, severe risk uh, uh, from, from climate change. If you're, if you're Starbucks, how do you mitigate? Uh, and then how do you, how do you um, 
uh, mitigate that risk for your enterprise so that in 2050, 2060 and beyond, you're still a healthy, sustainable enterprise, right? So it's, in my opinion, I think it, it's the, the, those two, those two in a way are going to be very uh, significant driving factors. And then underlying all of that is going to be um, the aspect of uh, social impact and equity. Um, that that's becoming quite prominent of a conversation within the within the domain of AI. So as you say that about Starbucks or the companies like Starbucks, you know, uh, my, my, my first thought is Elon Musk is going to find a way to get my implant to wake me up in the morning uh, without <laughs> without coffee and uh, it'll give me as much energy as I need. And I just turn it up or down based on my uh, app uh, to turn myself and get more excited or less excited. So uh, my number one predictor for the future is uh, food being made on the way to you, right? So the number one predictor I have is that uh, pizza companies are going to make pizzas on the way to your house. You'll order pizzas. You'll have them there in minutes, uh, seconds, you know, uh, uh, much faster than ever before. So I, I use that as my joke. It, it'll be the future will be uh, fast food that's so fast that uh, you'll think of it and it'll be there uh, from wherever you want. So Domino is already testing a uh, self-driving pizza delivery in Houston. And uh, who's to say that they may install in a robotic pizza making machine inside these mobile pizza vans that are making pizzas and, and, and driving around neighborhoods and delivering them. They've now got one down in Florida right now. They're, they're working on it. They, 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 they have a, a pizza down in Florida. That's a pizza machine. It's a box that makes pizzas uh, in three minutes. Fresh made pizza, fresh dough, fresh everything. You take that self-driving car, the pizza, and the two of them, the future is there. Amir, I love our conversations. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best place for them to catch up with you? Uh, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm fairly active there. It's uh, My name uh, is Ahmer Inam, A-H-M-E-R-I-N-A-M. Find me there and I'll be happy to have uh, any conversations. I love talking about AI and our future. I love it. I love it. I, I, I promise to have you on some more. Continue to talk and uh, have, have fun with this. So thanks again for being on the show. I'm so grateful. I know how busy you are and uh, I'm grateful, grateful for the time and the interesting conversation. Thanks. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.